had elections this week. Five million Palestinians whose lives Israel controlled were not allowed to vote in these elections. But shouts out to the only democracy in the Middle East, Tunisia. There have been numerous reports of voter suppression, lack of polling stations in Palestinian communities in Israel. The campaign's really rampant racist rhetoric. We have to end on a positive note because our first episode was that we feel like shit's changing. So we can't be like, shit's changing, episode four. We're fucked. We'll end on the, the idea that increased exposure to Palestinians, policies that were put forth, are creating an environment where people are more predisposed to listen to and side with Palestinians. But we still have to acknowledge that what's happening right now is absolute bullshit and yeah, that sure. there's no legitimacy to these elections that they're having. Sure. And none and no legitimacy to the elections that we had in the United States even. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gossam Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. Hey, what's happening, y'all? Mikey B here. You probably know me as Mikey Beyond on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And what about the IDF? You always do that part. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like, they, like know. they know, they know who I am. So quick reminder before we get into this week's episode, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, please do leave us a review. It definitely helps. And always feel free to reach out to us on palestinepod at gmail.com. And if you're interested in any of the sources that we rely on as we prepare these episodes, you can find everything at palestinepod.com. So Israel had elections this week. Five million Palestinians whose lives Israel controls in the occupied territories, so obviously the West Bank and Gaza, were not allowed to vote in these elections. So, you know, talk about voter suppression. But shouts out to the only democracy in the Middle East. You know what I mean? Uh, Tunisia. Shouts out to them. Yeah. But you know what the Zionists love to say? They say, well, Palestinians within Israel can vote. Right. So they say that 20 percent of the Israeli population, again, those are the descendants of the Palestinians who the Zionist militias were unable to uproot from Palestine in 1948. Well, they can vote. So I wanted to look very briefly at some of the conditions in which those Palestinians within Israel can vote, leaving aside the fact that five million Palestinians outside of Israel can't vote at all. Well, so, you, you should acknowledge that it's extremely generous that they're allowed to vote at all. Right. They don't. <laughs> They don't even view them as humans. So it's like, we robbed you of your identity. We call you Arab Israelis now. You can pretend like you're a part of this charade. Yeah, there have been numerous reports of voter suppression, lack of polling stations in Palestinian communities in Israel, the campaigns. I just want you guys to try to Google what some of these campaigns have said about the Palestinian voters in Israel. Really rampant racist rhetoric, Palestinian voters do get harassed by Jewish supremacists literally at the polls and cameras have been placed in Palestinian communities in Israel which are intended to serve as a deterrent to Arab voters. Again, absolutely insane. They're not doing this to Jewish communities, they're doing this only to the Palestinian communities in Israel. And we can see the parallels in the United States with Jim Crow, black people, how voter suppression is being passed right now. There are laws that are trying to restrict access to 
voting. Even in some states, they're criminalizing protest. So in Florida, for instance, there's a law where you can literally murder somebody for engaging in the First Amendment. Slowly and surely, they are eroding our rights and codifying illegal activity. And of course, all of this has a disproportionate impact on people of color in the United States and in Israel, an impact on the Palestinian communities, which supposedly can vote and, you know, have their rights. And what are they voting for even? You know what I mean? What are their what are their options? Because to me, looking as an outsider, as they would tell me, uh, the Israelis, it looks like the Palestinians are voting like which method they'd like to die from. For sure. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're not wrong. If we look at just one of the parties that was able to gain several seats in the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, you have the extreme, extreme, extreme right-wing religious Zionist party alliance, which includes in it the openly racist and homophobic political party known as Jewish Power. Hey, that sounds innocent enough. <laughs> Where have you heard power? Power. Sounds what does that like, come from? Does this sound like white power maybe? But like, I don't they, know. They'd be like, it comes from black power. Yeah, it's because we're oppressed. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what they'll say. So there's a guy by the name of Itamar Ben-Giver. Sorry about my pronunciation. If you want to do it, do you know how to pronounce it? I don't know. No, I don't think we need to say his name correctly. I think we're good. Do they say your name correctly? This guy was a member of a recognized terrorist group in Israel, and that's the Jerusalem Post reporting. Mm -hmm. When the Jerusalem Post says that you're a recognized terrorist and they're talking about an Israeli guy, it's got to be extreme. It's nice to get recognized, you know, because there are a lot of unrecognized terrorist groups in Israel. You bring up a good point, and that is that every individual in Israel uh, over the age of 18 has to serve in the military. Two years for women and three years for men. It goes without saying that service in the Israeli military will require you to participate in either an illegal military occupation in the West Bank or working some surveillance post within Israel or in the control room somewhere dropping bombs on Gaza. I mean, these are your options, right? I thought it just consisted of making a lot of TikToks. Well, they do that in their free time. Got you. Right, yeah. They do that when they're not, you know, doing the other stuff. So this is what we have with the Israeli elections. I don't even know if there's a winner yet by the time of the taping of this. Like, I I don't know that anyone's come out as a winner, go into their, you know, fifth or sixth or whatever election they're on because they're not able to actually elect a leader. The one who got the most votes is being investigated for corruption and millions of illegal things. And of course, that's Benjamin Netanyahu. So whatever. I mean, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, the leader of Israel makes absolutely no difference to what the lives of millions of Palestinians are like living under occupation. The living conditions, the deprivation of rights is constant. It's not a Benjamin Netanyahu problem. It's a Zionist problem. Right. That's what they like to do with Trump in the United States. They like to pretend that Trump was the origin of all of the problems. And it's like, I don't know, Trump wasn't responsible for slavery. Yeah, they, they think Trump created racism, you know? Trump yeah. Trump made everybody racist. Well, no. Trump is a symptom of the problem. Yeah. And so, because we elected Joe Biden, we are likely to find a even stronger version of Donald Trump next time 
the elections come around. Also, as far as uh, elections in Israel are concerned, I think they should just uh, stop electing people altogether and just continue to have elections. You know what I mean? <laughs> Forget the actual election part. Just keep voting. Just keep voting. Forget about it. Who cares? You know what I mean? For sure. They're like, this is like their fifth or sixth election. Yeah. What are their choices? The extreme right, the extreme, extreme right, the extreme, extreme, extreme right, and like white power or, you know, Jewish power. Jewish power. What? Jewish power. Jewish power. What a lineup. You know what I mean? I what know. an absolute lineup of studs <laughs> to vote for if you're one of the lucky Palestinians who's been colonized uh, and absorbed into Israeli society. What a pleasure you know what i mean and truly videotaped while you're at the polls so that you can be then like abducted from your house for having exercised your right to vote yeah or whatever they do with that information you you do the lever you know what i mean and as soon as you hit it it's actually just drops you into a pit yeah. and like, there's like seven hundred thousand other pals and they're like we tried to vote too you know yes. There are all these racist radio commercials that were put out by Netanyahu that are like, the Arabs are going to the polls. That's a real thing. Yeah. Trying to create hysteria that the Palestinian citizens of Israel are trying to exercise their right to vote. It's like, the Arabs are coming out. Y'all better come out. Like, what? And the joint list got, what, like 6% of the vote? You know what I mean? It was something very small. No disrespect to them. They're doing the best that they can. But... To say that Palestinians are represented because the joint list exists is, you know, pretty short-sighted. It's a lie. It's just a lie. It's 100% a lie. All right, well, let me get a joke in then real quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Wait, do I need to do anything? No, just, do I have to... yeah, just don't be, just say nothing. <laughs> Israel says they're having elections. It's like, just declare it a dictatorship already. You know what I mean? This charade is so tiring. Israel says that it's a democracy, but it's a democracy in the same way that like Arab moms will talk about their sons. You know what I mean? They'll be like, oh, he's an engineer. No, nah, he runs a podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, well, he's actually an audio engineer. So it would be like he performs surgery on music files. Yeah. <laughs> He's in a different wavelength. So remember like a few years ago when Hanin Zoabi, Palestinian member of the Knesset, because she has Israeli citizenship, one of the lucky few, was physically removed from the Knesset because she was speaking out for Palestinian rights. They dragged her out. That just happened to a state representative in Georgia, uh, Representative Park Cannon. Representative Park Cannon was arrested on Thursday after she knocked on Republican Governor Brian Kemp's statehouse office door to protest the signing of the voting reform bill, which critics say yep. is designed to make it harder for African-Americans to vote. That's the independent. So you want to say that? No, that's, I'm just going to cut that. That was great. <laughs> you know, Palestine, America. Birds of a feather flock together. Love it. Israel only has a right wing, and then our right wing is their left wing. We only have a right wing here too, that's but true. our right wing is their left wing. Yeah, we don't have a left wing here. Yeah. That's that's the point I was making. The the left wing went from burn it all down to we must protect the Senate overnight. So I don't know what left wing we have in the United States. You know what I mean? They were like, protect senators. This police officer is a hero. It's like, have y'all, where y'all been in the last year or yeah, so? Sure. Uh, actually, sorry. Where y'all been in the last couple hundred years or right. so? I feel like everyone forgot that the military was deployed 
on American citizens. Everybody was very excited that there was order in DC. So what kind of what kind of left wing do we have here? We have like a few people. Nah, we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all. We have nothing. We have two people. We got Rashida Tlaib. Shouts out to her. I mean, we have Bernie. You don't want to talk to me about Bernie because I'm pretty bitter on him. Uh, I, I worked I worked for both of his presidential campaigns and firsthand saw how both dysfunction and disorganization were used as a tool to slow down the success of the campaign. Bernie's campaign was infiltrated and staffed with people who had ties to the Democratic elite, and they deliberately messed the campaign up. In addition to some other funky things that happened that Bernie never spoke about, like voter discrepancy, um, you know, the election fraud, basically. Uh, Super Tuesday was the day where they stole the election from us, if you remember, when Barack Obama made a behind-the-scenes call to all of the other moderates in the race coordinated an event where they would all endorse Joe Biden uh, while telling Elizabeth Warren to stay in the race, which yeah. drew the progressive vote in half. Yikes. I remember all of that. I didn't know, obviously, about the stuff that you're saying about internally in the campaign. A number of volunteers, high-level volunteers, as well as campaign staffers have gone on record speaking about the ways in which people just threw things on the levers to stop the mechanism of the campaign. And Obama even said himself, he said the only way he could see himself getting involved in the 2020 Democratic primary is if it looked like Bernie was going to run away with it. And that's what happened, y'all. He said that. Obama said it. And then he did it. So I appreciate him for being more candid these days because he used to just do it behind the scenes. Yeah. Shouts. Hey, thanks, Obama. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so what's next? Well, what else happened this week? We have um, tyranny. No, <laughs> the United States said that it was giving fifteen million dollars to vulnerable Palestinian communities in the West Bank and Gaza to help fight the COVID nineteen pandemic. It's been all over the news. You can Google it. There's dozens and dozens of articles. It's being reported by absolutely everyone. But you won't have to because we link to it. <laughs> but you know what I wanted to do? Just, you know, because like $15 million for a lot of people is a lot of money, right? Like, I mean, I don't have $15 million. You don't have $15 million. I don't know. You might have $15 million. But that's not the point. That sounded anti-Semitic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of money, right? It's a good chunk of change, yeah. Good chunk of change. But what I wanted to do was divide that $15 million figure that the United States bragged about giving to the Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and Gaza with the money that the United States gives to Israel every year. Do you know what $15 million divided by $3.8 billion is? You know, not offhand. I couldn't do that calculation on my iPhone because the iPhone doesn't go into the billions. So I actually had to do it on the internet. Yeah, you um, couldn't do it on your iPhone because they were like, that's immoral. Even Apple, who is based on child labor and slave labor in Africa to rob Colton, is like, hey, that's actually too much money. We can't even yeah, calculate that. Can't. So here's the deal. 15 million divided by 3.8 billion is 0.039 percent it's literally zero huh we're making numbers baby it's statistically zero actually zero like it's rounded to zero yeah nice it's the equivalent of lighting the entire amazon on fire and then publishing a press release to congratulate yourself for bringing a gallon of water to you know help the vulnerable communities in the Amazon. And you know what they said? The U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Thomas Greenfield, actually said, 
This urgent, necessary aid is one piece of our renewed commitment to the Palestinian people. This aid will help Palestinians in dire need, which will bring more stability and security to both Israelis and Palestinians alike. They'd be like, hey, we started a famine, but don't worry, we dropped off some potato chips. Okay, so first of all, none of this is true. They're not at all addressing the elephant in the room, which is 73 years of colonization, settler colonialism, displacement, dispossession, all of that. And they're throwing 0% of funds at us, the equivalent of a piece of lint from an old sock. And they're saying that that demonstrates their commitment to stability and security for Israelis and Palestinians. Yeah, they're bragging that they donated the change under the couch. Right, but at the same time, not only did they only donate the change on the couch. See, that's not the real issue. The issue is, at the same time, the United States is doing everything possible to create the circumstances for colonization, dispossession, settler colonialism, total impunity for Israel and the international stage for its violations of international law. This is the dynamic that we're talking about. You want to brag about your $15 million check, but at the same time, you are creating the conditions necessary for Palestinians to be in a situation where they're living under a Jewish supremacist apartheid regime. That is the biggest threat to Palestinian security. If you really care about Palestinian security, then you will work to address that. And what does that look like? It means ending aid for Israel. It means conditioning aid for Israel such that you would not provide financial aid or military aid until Israel complies with its international obligations. Yeah. Not just like a cute little statement about how you support the two-state solution and the settlements are unhelpful, you know? They love to say that. Whenever there's a democratic president in office, they always say the settlements are unhelpful. One way to look at it, you know? Unhelpful? It's, not, it just, it's just not helpful. In fairness, it is not helpful, but that's not the, way, the best way I would describe it. The thing is, the United States will never, ever condition aid to Israel because Israel is just an outpost of military industrial complex in the Middle East, right? The, the, the former IDF soldier, Iran Ifredi, who's now a human rights defender, researcher, whistleblower, he confirmed for me that it was a fair characterization to call Israel the United States colonial offspring. He talked about how his awakening came from when he was raiding a Palestinian village one time and he came face to face with a young Palestinian boy in his bedroom and thought of his own grandmother who had survived the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah, look, there's a reason why Franz Fanon, the intellectual and psychiatrist from Martinique, when he was writing about the psychological consequences of colonization for the colonizer, there's a reason why it screws you up. Yeah, and that's why so many Israelis have such a hard force field up immediately, because they need to condition themselves to distrust other people who are trying to portray their country in a negative light. So they just automatically shut down. They don't even engage or they attack you. They attack not the point, but the person. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that you would get defensive about your participation in a military occupation. Yeah. If you spent three years of your life doing that and then people are like, actually, that was kind of pretty terrible. Yeah, it turns out you're a human rights abuser and you're like, what? I just made TikToks. You're like, turns out you're a war criminal and like the yeah. Hague is going to be investigating. Well, you know, yeah, it, it gets personal fast. Yeah. All of a sudden you start saying things like free Parmesan. <laughs> what? Who says that? People have decided to 
bastardize the phrase free Palestine. Yeah, they will make fun of people for saying free Palestine or situations that call for people to say free Palestine and they'll comment free Parmesan because they are crazy. And by people we mean Zionists. Yeah, if ever I'm talking shit about somebody on the pod, they're Zionists. Yeah, if ever I'm dragging somebody, it's it's either going to be a Zionist or a white supremacist. And in that case, it's both. Okay, what's up? How you doing, folks? If we really want to understand the sincerity of this gesture by the United States to give the Palestinians $15 million to be split between the West Bank and Gaza for COVID relief, we have to put it into the context of what the Biden administration's position and policy has been on Palestinian human rights for the last two months. So get this, Michael. He has reversed not one single Trump-era decision violating Palestinian rights. Blinken came out and said, oh, that's right. He said they did a good job. He congratulated Trump. That's right. Oh, yeah. Blinken, our our old pal. Hey, Blinken. (laughs) (laughs) Not one single Trump-era decision violating Palestinian rights has been reversed by the Biden administration, even though those decisions cement the illegal land theft and entrenches the occupation even further. Also, before the election, your old pal Abe Lincoln, now Secretary of State, reassured the Israeli lobby that under the Biden administration, U.S. funding for Israel's military would remain unconditional. I wonder like, what conditions would be made right? If ever any. Well, the conditions could be like stop building settlements that are- No, 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 no. That's, I mean, that's if they cared about Palestinians. I'm talking about what kind of, like, what is something that could make them put a condition on aid to Israel? Right, right, right. Like what, what is it that Israel could do that would make them condition aid? I feel like Israel could drop nukes on every major continent and Nancy Pelosi would come out of her bunker and be like, we've got to send the rest of what we've got to Israel. You know what I mean? She's bloody and like famished. And she's like ripping out the ice cream from her like fridge. You know what I mean? Just like, we've got to get it over to Tel Aviv. I mean, remember, Joe Biden said, if there was no Israel, we'd have to create one. So. And, and they did. And they did. What else did the U.S. do in the last two months, right? Um, bomb Syria. Yeah. A continuation of foreign policy in the Middle East that's destabilizing the whole region for the purpose of grabbing more control for Israel. What else did the United States do related to Palestine in the last two months? Top U.S. officials, we all saw the clip. They said that it was inappropriate for Palestinians to seek justice before the International Criminal Court, despite the court's ruling that it was, in fact, appropriate. That's so crazy. They acted like Palestinians sent them a dick pic. You know what I mean? And instead, Palestinians were like, we'd like human rights, please. You're not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. It's kind of rude for you all to be talking about the trauma that you're experiencing. In relation to this case, the Israeli press is now reporting that they are hopeful that Biden will exercise pressure on the next prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, who will soon take up their position to simply abandon the investigation into the Israeli war crimes. Sounds legit. Functioning system of law. Biden can't even exert pressure on his own knees. I don't know the reference. He fell down the stairs recently uh, a couple times. What does that have to do with his knees? His knees gave out while he was- Oh, his knees. I thought you said his niece. 
No. What if the elderly are listening to us, Michael? I don't like the joke. What if they are listening to us? They know that their knees deteriorate over time. I don't like jokes that marginalize people who might be listening to us. Make fun of white people, make fun of Zionists, make fun of... Joe Biden is literally the president of the United States. It's not like I'm punching down. His knees are punching down. Okay, also, by the way, the Biden administration has still not lifted the sanctions against the International Criminal Court and his chief prosecutor, which were instated by Trump. In in fairness, he has trouble lifting his own body weight. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that one. <laughs> I'm keeping them all in. <laughs> keeping that in, too. You know what this means, Michael? What? This means that Biden is Trump on Palestine. Yeah, we knew that. Yeah, but... It's not like an exaggeration. You know what I mean? I'm not hyperbolic. The same policies are being maintained. Yeah, totally. Kids are still in cages. They've just changed the words that they're using to describe them. Same way they use torture, but called it extraordinary rendition. Isn't that a isn't that a nice isn't that a nice like change of phrase, right? You you take somebody, you snatch them up, and then put them in a plane, take them to a different country where they can be tortured, and you just call that that nice little thing extraordinary rendition. Is it extraordinary? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Extraordinary. Also called irregular rendition or See, forced sounds, rendition. That sounds more legit. Extraordinary is such a nice name, though, right? It sounds it sounds almost glam, like it's fab. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's extraordinary <laughs> rendition, glam, and like, and that includes. That. Ah, you don't actually, because it includes the government-sponsored abduction and extrajudicial transfer of a person from one country to another with the purpose of circumventing the former country's laws on interrogation, detention, extradition, and torture. Sounds like Guantanamo Bay, which is still open, by the way. Hey, sounds like every prison in Palestine. Yeah, and the hundreds of American secret prisons that are all over the world that we don't know about. Shouts out to the black sites. That's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Trump... Biden, same, on Palestine. When it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to Israel, when it comes to, you know, not giving U.S. citizens health care. Yeah, they're, the Thai people have a saying, same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. I like that. This is not great. And all of this is taking place. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, guys. I, I'm going to go out on a limb. This, this is not good news. Kind of bad. Kind of bad, actually. It's not helpful. It's certainly not helpful. Not helpful, might I add. But all of it is taking place amidst the results of a recent Gallup poll, which actually confirmed that support for Palestinian rights uh, and sympathy with Palestinians continues to increase in the United States. Today, 25% of those polled said that their sympathies lie more with the Palestinians, which is actually up from 19% in 2018. 6% so, increase in two years. That's huge. That's that's is. a ton of movement forward. And it puts us where one in four people polled would say that they are more sympathetic with Palestine. That, that number only increases over time. It's not like Israel is becoming more sympathetic the more people find out about them. Right. The more information that comes out about Israel, it's war crimes, it's crimes against humanity, it's, you know, numerous massacres, genocides, etc. The more that information comes out, the more people continue to call it an apartheid state, a Jewish supremacist state, which it is, the more people are like, oh, that's actually not something I'm interested in supporting. I totally agree with you. The thing is, is that public opinion is changing simply because no amount of propaganda, and they try very hard. They have all sorts of ministries dedicated to this. 
Shouts yeah. out Hasbro. And you're depriving people of their rights and other people find out about it, they will be involved. So, and, and I think, you know what? Trump accelerated that. He exposed the world to the reality of the U.S.'s position all along. And I bet a lot of Americans said to themselves, hey, that sounds kind of unfair, you know? And yeah. then you compound that with the fact that uh, Bernie Sanders created space for a discussion on Palestinian human rights that we had not heard from a mainstream political candidate at his caliber in a very long time, if ever, really. Those two elements combined with the really, really sincere and sustained efforts of the Palestinian grassroots and their allies, I think is what we can say is the reason for this shift. So, you know what, I think it's going to continue because each one teach one, I fully believe in that. Palestinians are going to keep telling their stories and the more people that find out about it, the more people will be enraged because nobody can live without dignity, nobody can live without rights. It's just that simple. Yeah, the Israeli intelligence agencies are playing a game of whack-a-mole with people's family history. Whenever a Palestinian comes up to speak about what's happened to them, their experience with Al-Nakba, the machine comes down in full force upon them and tries to silence them, tries to rip their platform out from underneath them, tries to minimize the story and the damage done to the image of the Jewish apartheid state. Yeah, and actually we're going to talk about that more next week with Nora Barrows Friedman, journalist and associate editor of the Electronic Intifada. She's going to join us um, as we engage in a discussion about the suppression of voices expressing support for Palestinian human rights in the United States, the criminalization of BDS, where we are at with that, and the codification of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, and all things related to this struggle for freedom of speech in the United States when it concerns organizing for Palestinian rights. So, super excited for that conversation. Smooth plug. Yeah, we're giving 15 million to the Palestinians. And, you know, meanwhile, they're just like funneling all the money to Israel. And, you know, nothing is fundamentally changing on the ground. And it just continues to get worse. It reminds me of this summer at the at the Black Lives Matter protest when those white influencers like would show up. They would take a picture like in a, you know, with a sign. Then they get back into yeah. their luxurious car and drive away. <laughs> The U.S. right now is the white influencer. Totally. People who live in Israel are always saying things like, we're surrounded by enemies. We are surrounded by people who hate us. And it's like, you chose to move there, right? You moved there. You moved there. It's like a white girl who gentrifies Harlem. You know what I mean? I said there's like no good brunch. Yeah, she's just like, what's with this music? Yeah. I don't. And then she starts, she's like, it's actually my music now. White girl goes to Harlem and she demands that everything be as she wants and that everyone else move out. Right. And it's like now she has dreads all of a sudden. And it's like, where did you come from? <laughs> so these $15 million that the U.S. is giving, it means nothing. The root cause continues to be unaddressed. And the settler colonialist entity that has kicked us out of our land, prevented us from returning, and continues to deprive us of basic rights, will continue to do so. And these $15 million have absolutely no impact on that. But you know what's even worse is if you compare it not even just to the money that the U.S. gives Israel, but if you compare it to the financial harm that Israel's policies have caused Palestinians, you'll see that it is also extremely insignificant. So it's $15 million split between the West Bank and Gaza, $7.5 million each. Meanwhile, the Israeli blockade of Gaza has cost Gaza over $16 billion in losses. 
in the last mm-hmm. 10 some years. And this is according to the United Nations. So what are we talking about here? This move, and I'm not discounting the fact that there are going to be some people who will be helped by these funds if those funds reach them. There, there, there may be you know, some impact on actual people, and I really don't want to discount that. But what I'm saying is, from the perspective of the overall situation and what Palestinians really need to have justice and equality in their homeland, this is, to me, PR pocket change. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's, 100%. Talk about economic devastation. It's easier to get goods through the Suez Canal than in Gaza. Absolutely. We're now in a situation where I'm calling on everyone to be diligent about the Biden administration. We're going to continue to see undermining of Palestinian rights, and we're going to continue to fiercely oppose it and organize. But we can't be docile and we can't be complacent about these you know and we can't we can't be like oh you know thanks for 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 these meaningless gestures because that's what they are my prediction though overall is that poll numbers like the gallup poll that we just discussed will continue to shift in favor of palestinian rights and away from support for apartheid and jewish supremacy it may be slow and it may be slower than what we want but it will continue to move in the direction of justice because that is what is inevitable Injustice is an unsustainable state of affairs. I just attended a talk recently hosted by Independent Jewish Voices, Jewish activist organization in Canada. And at the panel was uh, were a number of speakers, one of which was Hanan Ashrawi. She said she lives under the most pervasive, intrusive system of injustice and oppression you can imagine in the world. It permeates every single part of her life and the life of every Palestinian. And she also talked about how hungry Palestinians are for actual representation, right? How because of these upcoming elections in Palestine, 94% of the people in Palestine registered to vote, right? That shows you that there is a true demand for actual representation, right? Some agency to be able to have control over one's life. And then we're not even, we're thinking about the idea of running for legislative council while under occupation, right? And that sort of can be paralleled with the Bantu stands in the South African apartheid regime. They broke them down into various different groups and then created tiered systems by which some people had access to certain privileges and others did not. So it's very similar to what's happened to the Palestinians. You know, the Palestinians need to be empowered to be able to resist. And so it's, in my opinion, it's time for like a younger generation to take over, uh, like prioritizing women who have been, you know, essential in the resistance of Palestine while many men are locked up. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is echoing a lot of the sentiments that I've been hearing from people in Palestine is that they, they, they're, they're hungry for new representation. They are um, sick of the status quo. They want to live with full citizenship rights. And these are all basic desires that any human being would have in the same situation. What I always think is crazy is this notion that like Palestinian grievances are like irrational right we're just made that way we're just violent we're just angry we're just filled with hate you know or maybe it has something to do with the fact that in 48 palestinians owned 93 percent of the land and now they only own three percent 
would that could that be an influence and we did not give up that land willingly there's a ton of zionists who are like we bought the land yeah. and it's like no you bought guns <laughs> and then you stole the land with those guns so if yeah. you're i mean if you're talking about the initial investment then i guess but no you didn't buy the land land no they didn't buy the land land and not only did they not buy the land land but they they erase any trace of us on the land. You know, the Jewish mm-hmm. National Fund. They tell people that they're planting trees in Israel, right? And that sounds great. Like, who could be against that? Planting trees, you know, global warming. But what if that tree is built on the demolished ruins of a Palestinian village whose inhabitants were massacred by the Haganah and the Ergun and all of these other Zionist militias? Right. The displacement, and- replacement paradigm. Was in... Palestine, I saw with my own eyes, on top of a hill, there was this sort of tower. And I was shown pictures of what that tower looked like pre-1948. Very old pictures from a local that was still in that city. That tower was surrounded by hundreds of homes. And I could see that photo. And this, I'm talking about the city of Safuria. It doesn't exist anymore because the JNF planted trees all over. The, dis- the destroyed homes. And so it's like, yeah. and there's many more where that came from. I have this book, Before Their Diaspora. This book contains photographs. It's called the Before Their Diaspora, a Photographic History of the Palestinians from 1876 to 1948. It contains images of those cities, of those towns that were covered by JNF trees to erase any sign of the Palestinian civilization because we had a civilization sure. that was there before one of the oldest exactly you know what's crazy too my 23 and me results i did that it's super biased because it doesn't include palestine so it just tells you you're like lebanese and it's like sure not lebanese yeah but it's like talking to an israeli uh knesset member it's like you're from saudi arabia and i'm like no <laughs> but i did have something like 12 percent of greek it's mm. like, I'm not Greek. My, my family's been in Palestine forever. But to me, that's just further proof of the fact that I am indigenous to Palestine because Palestine also had a Greek civilization in it at one point. There were the Greeks, there were the Romans, there Philistines. were the Mamluks, there were the, you know, the Byzantines, and all these different civilizations and empires were in Palestine at one point. And so if you yeah. look at my 23andMe, you actually see remnants of those civilizations. And I thought that was super cool because as far as we know, we've been, you know, in Palestine for generations and generations and generations. My 23andMe just said self-hating Jew. So I think I got a wrong company, actually. It might have been a Zionist company. You know, there is is an Israeli company that does this. Yeah, I would never trust any Israeli company with my DNA. My Heritage, have you heard of that one? Nope long data collection waiver that they make you sign i it's bet like 47 pages long it's like we will be using your data for sure it's, it's an encyclopedia britannica <laughs> israeli journalist gideon levy was also on there he acknowledged both the need for the legal struggle meaning like the icc as well as elections in palestine but also the popular struggle Right. So the activism, BDS, uh, these workshops, just getting Palestinian stories to the people. And in conjunction, those two things need to have a concrete goal. 
right? In order to motivate, in order to work towards something. And so that goal needs to be attacking Zionism at its core, because anything less is going to create a situation where you get Israel's equivalent of Joe Biden, right? The charade will continue where you address simply the symptom, but not the problem. We got rid of Trump, but everything's still the same for the people in Palestine. We got rid of Trump, but there are still kids in cages. They just call them pens or whatever they call them now. Yeah, we got rid of Trump, but there's still massive voter suppression and we didn't solve racism. Diversity training didn't fix anything. Right. Hiring more black and female cops did not actually fix Jim Crow and slavery in the United States. What happened in South Africa, it seemed impossible at the time, right? Everybody was overwhelmed because the structures of power were on the side of the apartheid regime. And what seemed impossible became possible through both international and local struggle. Yeah. And I think that's sort of lacking in Israeli society, if I can be 100% honest, right? Because in South African society, you saw white people struggling together with the black community against the apartheid regime, right? They got injured, they got arrested, some even got killed. And while there are some instances of nonviolence, passivity, there is some opposition to serving in the IDF among teenagers, in Israel, I don't want to discount that effort, right? You had Halal Rabin, who served, I think, about three months in prison. You had 60 teenagers write a letter that they did not want to serve in the IDF because of the occupation, etc. That said, that's not enough. It's a minority, and it's not a strong enough position. You need people struggling the way that you have the Hasidic community struggling to not join the army, right? That is what you need to see. And it's not that they care about the morality necessarily, because a lot of them don't. A lot of them just want to be exempt because they believe they've done more for Israel by preserving the culture, etc. That's their logic. So it's not like there are some, you know, it, it depends. There are some who stand for Palestine, but there are some who just believe that they're better than the rest of the Jews. That said, you need that type of struggle where they're getting hosed down in the streets, where they are putting their bodies on the line, and it needs to be for Palestinian liberation, for the end of Zionism. Yeah, it's, a, it's difficult to imagine, but... Mm -hmm. It's but difficult it's possible, to imagine, right? but it's possible. It is possible. It's not inevitable, right? It's not inevitable, but it is possible because, you know, there's like this saying that the day before the revolution, the revolution seems impossible. Right. And then it seems inevitable and so yes. obvious, you know, what yes. happens. And I think that's consistent with everything we've been saying. Like things get to a breaking point where it just becomes unsustainable to maintain these structures of oppression the way that they are. And I remember when we went to Palestine, I met a couple of refusiks. That's what they're called. Those Israelis who refuse to serve in the army and they go to jail for it. Yeah. You know, some of them will go longer than others, depending on how aggressively they articulate, you know, how, how, how fiercely they articulate the reason for which they are not serving. And I think the more political the statement they make, the longer they'll, they'll stay in prison. Yeah. Happy Passover, by the way. Thank you so much.
as a kid, we would eat matzah. We would hide the afikomen. It was like a big thing where you would basically play hide and seek with some matzah. Okay. You would have like a brisket or, you know, some like casserole maybe. Kugel is always there, uh, which is like a sweet noodle dish if you don't know. And some people will eat gefilte fish, but that's not for me. Gefilte fish is like as controversial as Bamya is. Really? Yeah. Is it like an is it like the elderly are into it? Like who's into it? Or they're like young people that eat that? So there are some young people who eat it. I think the only people who eat it are people who like the tradition of it because it's disgusting. Real talk. Is it like a pickled fish? Like what is it? So from Yiddish, gefilte fish translates to stuffed fish. And that is because the dish is made by grinding up deboned fish, usually carp, whitefish, mullet, or pike, and then adding filler ingredients like breadcrumbs, eggs, uh, vegetables, etc. And then they stuff it back into the skin of the whole fish. So it's it's like a chicken nugget, but for fish. Yeah, it's like a fish nugget. It's a fish nugget. Exactly. With skin on it. It's it's not our greatest contribution to society. <laughs> no wonder the scientists took our food. Be realistic about it, right? We have to be realistic about the goal and the outcome. Because right now, Palestine is being eaten up by Israel, right? The settlements, the expansion, etc. Can all that be dismantled overnight? Absolutely not right? But if you tackle the issue at its core, if you focus on Zionism, right, the exclusive racist ideology, then we can talk about superiority and make the conversation about equality, right? We can have equality from the river to the sea. Sounds good to me. And, you know, Hopefully that equality also includes the Palestinians that are in refugee camps and that are outside of Palestine, not by choice, but because they were forced to be. Equality without consideration for the refugees is not equality. I think it makes an important point, the idea that Palestinians are going to be more and more involved in a civil rights struggle, and you're going to see it happen organically because it's sort of aligned with this idea that came out of the Beit Salem report that you have one state two-state solution is dead. Everybody's been saying it for years. If I hear one more time someone talk about the nail in the coffin of the two-state solution, I will literally choke because it's just getting so boring. Every op-ed opens with that, you know? They've been driving that same nail for years now. Yeah, it's like the one nail, right? Y'all really gotta learn how to drive nails. It's... <laughs> it's been taking too long. Okay, we're just gonna fight for our civil rights. Israel can't have it both ways. You can't totally prevent us from having a state of our own that is sovereign, that is able to grant us full rights, and then at the same time, not integrate us into your state. I mean, it's one or the other. They totally prevented the establishment of the former. They sabotaged it in every way possible. The settlements, the endless negotiations that go nowhere, the refusal to concede anything that is under international law granted to us in any event. So... Okay, fine. We're going to be part of one state. That's what's going to happen organically because we're going to start struggling for our rights. I think what this episode should be about is what the politics of Israel and the United States means for Palestinians, right? Because it's sort of this like theater yeah. where 
millions of people don't get to vote on policies that ultimately will in, influence their lives, potentially endanger them, most likely Definitely endanger them. Endanger you know them. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to even like yeah. put it as qualified as possible. Yeah. This sort of charade that we're doing here when we're talking about Israel being a democracy, these elections. You have to keep in mind that their support for Palestinians has been increasing every single year. Yes. So the notion that today 25% of Americans say that their sympathies lie more with Palestinians as opposed to 19% in 2018, this is really significant. You have to assume also that it's going to be sort of exponential, right? Each one, teach one. Everybody's going to tell a friend once they figure out what's going on because it's absolutely outrageous. And then it will accelerate. Yeah. That's how I see it, at least. I mean, these are Could numbers it... that you didn't see before. Right. Could it also be due to the influx of Palestinian immigrants to the United States? How many are we? I would imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine there's I'd imagine there's hundreds of thousands. I don't think we're statistically significant for this Gallup poll to like, because like all the Palestinians are voting. But what I mean is like exposure to Palestinian people is oh, greater. Sure. And so therefore sympathy is greater. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Palestinians oh. themselves are yes. swaying the poll. That's like <laughs> the fuck. That's how that's Israel, like, that's, that's literally how Israel believes elections happen. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> what? That's so No, dumb. no. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. What you're saying, exposure to Palestinians, but also think about in the Trump era, right? Because so many things took place. He pushed forward so many policies that entrenched yeah. colonization of Palestine, Israeli yeah. occupation, you know, land theft, that it really became very clear what side the United States was on. I mean, we've known this all along, but when you see a Democrat in office, oftentimes there's this veneer of... We care. We pretend to care. Absolutely. But yeah. meanwhile, we're co-signing on the biggest aid package to Israel in American history and possibly in world history. That also contributed to the shift in opinion because it became very clear. We, we showed all our cards on Palestine. And the truth is, is that we are responsible for the last settler colony in the world. And well, the latest. Well. The latest, right. There might be others. Who Certainly knows? not the last. Who knows? There might be there might be more to come. We have to end on a positive note because our first episode was that we feel like shit's changing. So we can't be like shit's changing. Episode four, we're fucked. We'll end on the, the idea that increased exposure to Palestinians policies that were put forth are creating an environment where people are more predisposed to listen to and side with Palestinians. But we still have to acknowledge that what's happening right now is absolute bullshit and yeah, that sure. there's no legitimacy to these elections that they're having for sure absolutely. and none and no legitimacy to the elections that we had in the united states even yeah this has been another episode of the palestine pod thank you all so much for listening please make sure to like subscribe and comment on our youtube page our itunes page we so appreciate all of the comments we've gotten and we will see you next time it's the palestine pod palestine pod well, let's brainstorm. I got time. I got nowhere to be. Yeah. <laughs> I've allocated the rest of my life for this podcast, so I've got <laughs> Except, time. 